0: Welcome to Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. My name is Andrew, I'm one of the pastors here at Oak Ridge, and we are so excited to have you join us today. So grab your Bible and then your iPad, a notebook, pens, pencils, whatever it is that will help you get the most out of today's sermon, and please enjoy our Sunday message. You know, there's a sense in which home ownership has two corresponding realities. And I know Patricia and I experienced this when we bought our first house. There is, on the one hand, the objective reality. right? You have confirmed the funds and you have signed the mortgage and the house is objectively yours at that moment. But then there's the subjective reality, especially for first-time homebuyers when it seems surreal. Right? Could this actually be? And you experience in a growing reality the objective reality of home ownership. You move in, for example, and all of a sudden it feels more like yours. This actually could be the real thing. And then you unpack, and maybe you do some light renovations, and you make it your own, and wow, this is really starting to feel like our home. And then you start sharing it with other people. You invite people over. You send pictures to parents and grandparents. Look what the Lord has blessed us with. Increasingly, it becomes your own house. And so there's these two corresponding realities. The objective reality and then the subjective, growing experience of that reality. And the same is true of the Christian life. When one becomes a Christian, we know that the payment has been made and the deed has been signed. Romans 14 says, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. He owns us at that moment of faith. It's objectively a done deal. But there's also a subjective reality to all of this as well, as we all know. A process by which we grow in our experience of that objective salvation. And this happens as the Holy Spirit moves into his new home, so to speak. He indwells the believer. As he unpacks and settles in, as he seals the believer, and as he shares his new purchase, as he testifies to the believer that this is his home. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. The difference between the objective reality of our salvation and the subjective experience of that salvation and the work of the Holy Spirit as he assures to us that we belong to God Almighty. And I mentioned the three works of the Holy Spirit we're going to be looking at together today. We are going to be looking at the indwelling work of the Spirit, the sealing work of the Spirit, and the testifying work of the Holy Spirit as well. The three ministries that God's Spirit does to confirm to us that we are children of the Most High God. I'll be honest, my prayer this week leading up to this morning has been very bold for this church family. My prayer is that every single person here would walk out those doors today more sure of their salvation when they came in. That's the prayer. And we Believe with all fervency that he will answer that prayer as we go to the word together. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to Romans chapter 8. That's where we will start. It will take me a few minutes to get there, but when I do arrive, you'll be ready. Romans chapter 8. And we're going to begin by looking at the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit moves in to our lives when we trust in Christ. Now we know that the Holy Spirit himself, being God, never changes But the Holy Spirit does work in different ways at different times as we see in his word. And his permanent indwelling ministry is one such way that is new. In the current age we are living in, he did not permanently indwell the way he does now. And we can see that by how it's anticipated. We can see it even when we come to the gospel accounts, for example, in John chapter 7, Jesus is speaking. In John chapter 7, starting in verse 37, he says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And then John clarifies, But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. You can hear the anticipation. Even when Jesus was on earth, there was something that was going to change in the future upon his glorification. Similarly, in the upper room in John 14, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him. Because he abides with you and will be in you. Will be future. It has not yet happened, but it is something to anticipate. And we go forward still a little bit further into Acts chapter 1. Jesus is resurrected and he's about to ascend back to the Father. And he meets with his disciples. And he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so you can see this anticipation. Something is going to change. The Holy Spirit doesn't change, but the way he operates is about to change. And that's what the day and age we live in now, this indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now this anticipation that honestly was built even further back than John 7, back in the Old Testament, But this anticipation becomes realized in Acts chapter 2, when at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles. Now, Peter, he sees all these onlookers, and people are confused about what's happening. And Peter quickly explained that this was what Joel had prophesied. When the Holy Spirit came upon the believers, and people were saying, what is going on? Peter stood up and said, you should know what this is. Because Joel the prophet said, And it shall be in the last days that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. So, this is the new work of the Holy Spirit, and it wasn't just for the apostles. So, we might be tempted to think, Well, it was poured forth at Pentecost, reserved for them. What about us? We're not the apostles, so does it apply to us as well? Well, as we keep reading through Acts, we find out that no, it's for all believers, it's the anticipation for all who would follow Jesus. We just keep reading through Acts, and this is what we find. So the the people who saw Pentecost, they hear Peter stand up and give this incredible sermon, and they respond in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? I mean, he just told them, you crucified your Messiah. And they say, what should we do now? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not just for us apostles, it's for you if you believe in Jesus as well. We keep going through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, and as you know, in Acts, it's really concentric circles in the book of Acts. Jerusalem being the epicenter, but then it spreads, right? This, this new gospel movement, it goes out to Jerusalem and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 8 as well. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive The Holy Spirit. So now the Holy Spirit is going out to those even in Samaria. And it doesn't stop there. In chapter 10, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers, the Jews who came with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. So we see this anticipation. The Holy Spirit's going to do something new. He was with you. He's going to be in you. He's going to do something new. And it's not just for the apostles. It's for all who will believe this message of a crucified and risen Savior. As Jesus promised, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And we know that Jesus did go. He ascended back to the Father And he that was once with all disciples is now in all disciples. In fact, now we finally come to Romans chapter 8. In fact, the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit would live in us, is actually a mark of a Christian. It's a mark of a Christian. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 9. Paul writes, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Verse 11. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. You contrast that with Jude 19, speaking of false teachers. Jude writes, these are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. So we see right away that the indwelling Spirit is a mark of believers. The Spirit indwells all believers and only believers. Those devoid of the Spirit do not belong to the Lord. If you've trusted in Jesus, you have the Spirit of God living in you and all the power that comes with he who raised Christ from the dead. It's an incredible truth that, I don't know about you, but I'm still trying to wrap my mind around the power of God living in me. What are the implications of that? See, well, the Old Testament saints, they had God's presence in the temple, right? Behind the veil. We have God's presence inside of us. While they had to draw near to God in a unique way, we are always near to God as believers in Jesus. The other day I was walking in our neighborhood and I saw one of my neighbors cutting her grass and she had an electric lawnmower. And I watched her as she moved and tried to dodge the extension cord coming from her garage. She didn't want to run over it in the process of cutting her grass. Well, we have an electric lawnmower too. But ours has a battery. The power goes with us. That's how it is for us Christians. The power goes with us. We have no leash to a temple. We have no leash to a certain spot. We have the power of God in us that goes where we go. We're not restricted by our geography or proximity to this building or anything else. We're not restricted by our personality or our perceived ability. None of those things. The power of God lives in all who have believed in Jesus power to obey and to serve. Power to kill sin and to court righteousness. Power to love even the unlovely and power to learn at the feet of the master. We have that power in us. As Peter says, his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. We have all we need to be what God has called us to be. And when we experience that presence and that power, it reminds us of our owner. reminds us of of our salvation, the salvation that we have. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I certainly have. When you serve in the body of Christ and you step out to serve in, a, in an area that you're not particularly familiar with, you, you know that, left to myself, I don't actually have skills in this area, but I see the need, and, and no one else seems to be stepping up, and so I step in in faith, and wow, the Lord seems to use those circumstances, use that willingness And you step back and people say, wow, I was really blessed by that. And you know right away, well, it wasn't me, because I have no skills in that area. And in those moments, you realize, wow, the Holy Spirit is living in me. And it reminds me, I'm saved. Because only saved people have the Holy Spirit living in them. And it assures us. Remember, salvation is objective reality. But I am growing in my realization of that objective reality. And one of the ways is through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Or maybe you've experienced this, where... You step into a circumstance where someone's grieving, or they're hurting, or they're doubting, or they're angry, or whatever the case may be. And you think, I am ill equipped for this situation. I don't know what to say. Who am I? Lord, send someone else, but you're the only one there, or you're forced. You find yourself trapped in that situation. You try to get out, but you can't. And there you are. And you find yourself saying things like, That is not for me. And you're bringing comfort to people. And maybe Scripture is coming to mind. Or maybe the Spirit just grabs your tongue and says, don't say anything. Sometimes that's just as much the Holy Spirit at work, right? And in those moments, you step away from those moments, you say, man, you used me in spite of myself. The Holy Spirit working in us to bless his people. Again, affirmation that we are saved. The Holy Spirit working in and through us. Now, to the Corinthian Christians in First Corinthians, Paul says this even more clearly about the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. He says it twice in chapter 3, but then I want to look at chapter 6, verse 19. He says this, and he says it in such a way that they should know this. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. And what was the price for God buying us? The blood of his beloved son. If you ever question your worth, or maybe the world is telling you you're not worth anything, just remember what it costs to buy you back. The blood of the beloved, only begotten son of God. You are worth more than you know to the one who matters most. And he says here, do you not know who lives in you? the Holy Spirit of God calls your body his temple. We've been bought by the blood of Jesus. He owns us. But we can grow in our enjoyment of that reality by understanding that the Spirit of God has moved in. He's moved in. Our hearts are his his home. Our bodies are his temple. The question becomes, are we good tenants? You know, uh, You think of people who own and manage Airbnbs, they have a a way to screen potential tenants. They're looking for people who will treat that place well, respect something that's not theirs. They won't use it like it's their own personal, you know, house to trash. No, they want people moved in that will take care of what is not theirs. We are not our own, we've been told. Are we good tenants? Are we good stewards of what has been entrusted to us? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The question becomes are we treating our bodies like our own personal playground? or like the issue of stewardship that it is. This is why Christians will have a different sexual ethic than the world, because we know this isn't ours. We don't get to do with this whatever we will. The world comes along and says, it's your body, you do whatever you want. Christians say, hang on a second. That would be true, except for the fact that it was bought with a price by the blood of the Son of God. This is not mine anymore. I have something else to consider. I question what I do with this body. I question, am I being a good tenant? This is a temple of the Holy Spirit. For those who have believed in Christ, the Holy Spirit has moved in. It's a wonderful, powerful truth. So God bought the house, and the Spirit moved in. But more than that, he unpacked as well. Because it's one thing to move in, right? It's another thing to unpack. I remember we were about maybe a year into owning our our first house, and we had this, uh, this gentleman from our church over for a meal. And we were sitting there in the middle of a meal, and, you know, we were younger and we didn't have a whole lot of things and so we did what we could we had a couch we had a table and we were quite happy but this man who was a little bit older than us he sat there during the meal -meal, mid-meal i think he even had something in his mouth at the time he looked around the house he says how long have y'all been here there's just nothing on the walls there was nothing it looked like we had not unpacked yet and to him he's thinking this can't be your whole you can't be comfortable here yet because you have not unpacked well the spirit moves into our house and he does not leave things in the boxes he starts unpacking doesn't he He starts renovating, and that confirms to us that objective reality. This is the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's where I want to go next. He's moved in, indwelled, but now he seals and unpacks. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. As you get there, starting in verse 3, the Apostle Paul begins a long, long, long sentence that runs all the way to verse 14, in which he celebrates all that is ours in christ for a christian these are the things that are true of you in christ jesus our lord this list includes guaranteed future holiness and adoption redemption and forgiveness revelation and an inheritance it is really a truly a remarkable resume that we've been given because we believed in jesus now again if you've ever struggled with your identity who am i You know, I don't have a purpose. The world is telling me this one thing, and and, and the church is telling me that, go to Ephesians 1. You want to know who you are? You want to hear the God of the universe tell you who you are and who he is? Read Ephesians chapter 1. You are more precious than you even know, because you are in the beloved, in Christ Jesus. But as we work through this first sentence in Ephesians, or this long sentence in Ephesians, Paul kind of reaches his crescendo Uh, In verse 13, when he starts talking about the Holy Spirit, and this is what he says. Chapter 1, verse 13. In him, that's Christ, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Let's follow that flow of thought for a moment here. Paul writes, and he's speaking to believers here, he writes to them after listening to the message of truth. He quickly clarifies what that is. The gospel of your salvation. You listen to it. And then he adds, and having also believed. As we talked about last week, week, hearing the gospel is not enough. Having also believed, we must believe it. And the Ephesians had. He's speaking to believers. You've heard the message. You've believed it. And then notice what happens next. You were sealed in Christ by the Holy Spirit of promise. There's that anticipation again. This Spirit has been promised long ago. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Joel, Jesus, they're all saying, wait for it, the Spirit's coming. Wait for it, the Spirit's coming. There's this spirit of promise, and now he's here, he's moved in, and not only does he move in when the house is purchased, but he settles in. He unpacks, he seals the believer in Christ. Christ gets everything. We are owed nothing, but we are in Christ by belief, and we are sealed in him. And so we get all that he gets, because we are in Christ. It's a wonderful truth. Now, to fully appreciate this idea of sealing that Paul uses, we need to unpack this picture. Think back to ancient, maybe, correspondence, like you've seen in movies or read about in books, where the king or someone in power drips wax on a correspondence on a letter and takes their seal and presses it into the wax. It cools, and it makes sure that it is sealed tight. Now, that seal, it guarantees at least a couple of things. One, it guarantees that the content of that letter is from the king. Because only he has that seal. It is a, a signature on that seal. This is from the king. only. That's the king's seal. It belongs to him. It also guarantees that that letter is going to get to its intended destination without being tampered with. You don't break the king's seal. In fact, breaking the king's seal was tantamount to treason and would bring about death. You see the seal of the king, you don't break it. You take it to where it's supposed to go and you leave it there. Well, so it is with God's people and the believer. We've been sealed with God's spirit, identifying us unmistakably with the only owner of that seal. It's his spirit. People see us and they say, who does that belong to? Who does that correspondence belong to? Well, clearly God most high because his seal is placed upon them. We are his The seal also ensures that we arrive at our intended destination, a destination Paul has already stated in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. That's the intended destination, brothers and sisters, that we will be holy and blameless before the Lord God. Anyone holy and blameless right now? Uh, No. Well, maybe positionally in Christ, but we're far from holy and blameless. But one day we will be. And we will stand before our Lord and say, I am holy and blameless. And that is our destination. And we are sealed for that day. In fact, later on in the same letter, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes in verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What is the day of redemption? The consummation of all things, everything made right, resurrection, all there, you were sealed unto that day. We are going to arrive, brothers and sisters, not because of our efforts, not because of our godliness, our repentance, our church attendance, our witness. Nothing about us is what guarantees our arrival. We will see the day of redemption. We will stand holy and blameless because the Almighty God has sealed us unto that day given us his spirit as a pledge, he said, in verse 14 of chapter 1. A down payment that ensures the full payment. And God always makes good on his payments. 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 21. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge, he sealed us and gave the Spirit as a down payment, a pledge to guarantee what will happen after. Brothers and sisters, if you have placed your faith in the person work of Jesus Christ, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if you feel like that's true or not, there's an objective reality. Done deal. What happens in life, grief, loss, can affect that subjective reality. We want to walk in the assurance of that real thing, but it's a done deal. The indwelling spirit, the sealing of the spirit, it helps us to understand that these things are true. We need to understand, and this is hard because we live in a world that prioritizes our feelings. If it feels good, it's right. If it doesn't feel good, it's evil. God comes along and says, "Don't trust your feelings. Your feelings are fallen. Don't trust those. God's promises are sure. Trust in His promises." You now you think of a state-of-the- heart, a state-of-the-art uh, security system, as hard as it, is, as it is to believe, I'm sure there are people out there who spend all this money, set up a home security system that is just pristine and still have restless nights because they feel unsafe, even though they are completely safe. And so it is with our salvation. Objective reality. We are saved, sealed, indwelled, but how we experience that is up to us and how we lean on the promises of God. God wants us to know that we're safe and secure. He wants his children to have peace and fearlessness, liberty and rest. I mean, he says those things all the time, doesn't he? You are free. Take my yoke upon you. It's restful. He wants his children to have these things. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is a state-of-the-art security. Rest easy, brothers and sisters. The question becomes, do we live like we're secure? Not leaning into sin, I mean, that's oftentimes an objection, right? Well, you're secure, so you can live however you want. No, 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 no. That's a complete misunderstanding. Complete straw man. Nonsense. We don't believe that. We don't use our freedom to lean into sin, and just because some people do doesn't make it right. No, we use our liberty to be in awe of the Lord. be in awe of the incredible blessings we've been given, including security, that we, as Paul says in Ephesians 1-3, bless God. We see all these things and we say, praise you, Father. Look at all these things you've given to me, undeservedly so, that we worship him with our obedience and with our joy and with our peace and with our liberty and with our service. That's the response when we understand that we are kept by the Holy Spirit. We give him everything because he's given us everything. That's the right response. We've seen so far that all Christians, when they believe in Jesus, are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and they are sealed by the Holy Spirit. But there's one more ministry uh, left to examine this morning, and that's the testifying work of the Holy Spirit. So go back to Romans chapter 8. We will end where we began. Romans chapter 8. And Romans chapter 8, I mean, like Ephesians chapter 1, is just a treasure for believers— especially when you know of what it comes after. The end of Romans chapter 7, if you're familiar, is, is Paul wrestling with his sin nature. It, it's a completely identifiable passage of Scripture to those of us who are self-aware, right? Paul says, the things I don't want to do, for some reason I keep doing the things I don't want to do. I, it's just, it's a mess. What, Lord, oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And every conscious believer who is not self-deluded can identify with that say, yes, it is a battle. Is it not? It's a battle. But then you come to chapter 8, verse 1. Look what he opens with. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Even in the midst of that battle. Chapter 8 is just beautiful, and it starts with such a bang. There's no condemnation. He goes on to add that there's liberty in Christ. There's power in Christ. There's true life, and there's leading from God in this life. It's a wonderful chapter. But then we come to verse verse 15. Romans 8, verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The contrast is stark here. While sin enslaves us, even though it promises liberty, does it not? Sin enslaves us, the Spirit frees us as children. We are not in bondage, but we are in brotherhood, a status that doesn't produce fear or coercion. It produces love. That's what it produces. When the Spirit of God regenerated us, indwelled us, and sealed us, it was as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And because of this, we can call out in intimacy, Abba, Father. I think I sometimes take that for granted. The same God who is in the burning bush... The same God who was at Mount Sinai shaking the mountains and lightning and thunder is the same God who says, call me Father. Draw near to me. I am your Father. I'm your protector. That intimacy we have because of the spirit we have received. And just the an aside, when we talk about this future adoption, when we talk about, like we did last week, being born again, these are things that cannot be undone. You cannot be unadopted, and you cannot be unborn again. These are changes to who we are. We are new creatures. Behold, the old things are what? They're passed away. New things have come. It is a new birth. You cannot be unborn again. It is because of who we are in Christ that we are secure. That's where the eternal security comes from. It's not from our obedience to him. It's because of who he has made us to be in Christ. It's incredibly secure. Let's keep reading in Romans 8. I'm traveling down some rabbit trails here. I'm sorry. Verse 16. Romans chapter 8. The Spirit himself who indwells us and seals us, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with, fellow heirs with Christ, amazing. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Not only does the Spirit of God indwell us and seal us, but he reassures us that we belong to him. It's one of his ministries. Like parents dropping their kids off at VBS this week, you see them get down, hug their child, and say, I love you. Just remember, I love you. Why? Because they're reassuring them of what they already know. You belong to us. You're coming home with us. We'll pick you up later. We love you. In the same way, the Spirit whispers to us, tells us that we belong to him. He lives in us, and he seals us. And especially when we are walking in the Spirit and not grieving the Spirit, obeying the Spirit, we can hear the Spirit testify with our spirit, you belong to me, I love you, and you're mine. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before. Maybe in a dark time in life, a lonely time in life, and the Spirit just breaks through that silence and says, I know this is bad, but you're mine. What a ministry of the Spirit. He indwells us, He seals us, He testifies to us, you belong to me. Home ownership, it begins objectively when the deal is done. It's Done. At the same time, buyers grow in their enjoyment and experience of that purchase as they move in, they unpack, and they share their home with others. But at no point in that process were they not the owners. They were still the owners all the way through. Whether they fully accepted that new exciting reality or not, it's still theirs. So it is with salvation. The deal is done when we trusted in Jesus Christ for eternal life. We became new creatures. The old has passed away. Behold, new things have come. But we can and should grow in our experience and celebration of that reality by understanding the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a wonderful privilege. God's Spirit has moved into his new home in each of us, he indwells the believer bringing with him all the power and perfection of the Most High God, when you experience him helping, leading, comforting, teaching, and convicting, you are confirmed in your status as his child. The Holy Spirit is also unpacked in his new home, hasn't he? He sealed the believer for the day of redemption, and he's starting to renovate in a lot of us as well. He's starting to move things around, clear things out. We are not kept because we hold on to him. We are kept because he holds on to us. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, and yet he grips us. He will hold us fast. In fact, he must hold us fast. And when we understand our eternal security rightly, it moves us to holy living, fueled by gratitude and worship and humility and power. It does not automatically lead to licentiousness. It leads to the opposite of that. Finally, the Spirit of God has shared his new home bragging of his purchase. He testifies to the previous owner that the deal has been completed. He's the owner, the tenant, and the current renovator. It's all his. We are not our own, brothers and sisters. We have been bought with a high, high price, and we are under new management. We're called to live like it. Live in the freedom we have in Christ. As we close, I want to speak to three groups of people that I know are represented here today. Three groups of people. First, I want to speak to those who doubt their salvation. Now, you might doubt your salvation because you're not saved, in which case, praise God that you doubt your salvation. If you've never trusted in the person and work of Jesus Christ, maybe you've heard some other gospel, some works, grace, mix, hybrid, and you've never actually heard the pure gospel that Christ died for you and rose from the dead, and by placing your faith in him, you can have eternal life. If you've never heard that before, then you probably should doubt your salvation, but receive it today. But for many people in here, you have received that gift, and you still struggle. Depending on the week, I don't know if I'm saved. I'm not sure if if that counts anymore. I'm not sure if I ever believed it in the first place. So I want to speak to you who might struggle with the acceptance, the assurance of your salvation. Well, as we sang earlier, and as we've talked about a number of times from this platform— The remedy to a lack of assurance is not to look more internally at yourself. It's to turn your eyes to Jesus. Stop looking at yourself for assurance of salvation. Stop looking to your pursuit of holiness, your improvement, your perceived growth, your killing of sin, your giving at the church, your church attendance, your service. Stop looking to yourself. You will never be assured if you are looking at yourself. You will always ask, how much sin do I have to kill? How much greed has to go? How much do I have to serve? How much is enough? And always, if you import works anywhere in the equation, you import doubt. Every single time without fail. Turn your eyes to Jesus. He's the strong one. He's the faithful one. He's the perfect one. He's the God who cannot lie. And it says, and has said, and continues to say, if you believe in me, you will live even if you die. Do you believe this? If you have, guess what you have? eternal life. Believe in him. Don't look to yourself. I know there are many Bible teachers out there who will say the exact opposite. If you don't look like a Christian, then you're probably not. Wrong. It's not true. It might be true, but if you have believed in Jesus, you are saved. Now look at him and pursue him with all joy and gratitude. Don't look to yourself. If you lack assurance, look to the God who cannot lie, and the same God who has given you his spirit to indwell you, to seal you, and to testify to your spirit that you are a child of God. Stop looking to yourself. It only imports doubt. That's my encouragement to you. If you struggle with assurance of salvation, turn your eyes to Jesus. Get them off of your own navel. Stop examining your life. Turn them to the perfect one. Second, I want to speak to those who believe that they can lose their salvation. I think you've been taught wrongly. Obviously, by today. I think you kind of caught that for the last 20, 30 minutes, right? I think you've been taught wrongly. Not only do I not think that the Bible teaches that, I think it's a dangerous doctrine, a dangerous teaching. You are building and calling for people to build their obedience to Christ Their sanctification, their allegiance to Christ on fear and insecurity. That is not what the Bible teaches. It is from a place of security that we pursue holiness. It is from a place of liberty that we run this race, not from insecurity. And I won't convince you of that right away, probably, but I want to invite you to the grace and the liberty that that He offers. That's the place, that's what the Bible teaches. I just want to invite you, if this is something you struggle with and you've been taught this in the past that you can lose your salvation depending on what you do in this life, the elders would love to talk with you, open the word with you, pray with you. This is not a barrier to fellowship. We will fellowship with you. We will praise the same Lord we have. But this is not unimportant either. There's a beautiful security that the Lord offers you and we want to offer it to you too to search the scriptures together. Now finally, to those who already know that they're saved, that's probably the majority of us, we may not be all the way at certainty, but on a good day, we are enjoying the fact that he owns the house. We live in the joy that comes with that. I want to talk to the rest of us as we close. Again, we turn our eyes to Jesus. Same thing, we turn our eyes to Jesus and we worship for him for what he's given us in this. You know, his spirit has drawn us, as we saw last week. He's regenerated us. He's indwelled us, sealed us, and he testifies to us that we are his own. If that is not fuel for worship, I don't know what is. I don't know what could move a Christian to worship God more than all of those things in our lives. You know, he loves us. He, he puts his love upon us. And as we understand our security in Christ and all we have in Christ, we are moved to love better and serve better and sacrifice for him and evangelize for him on all of these things. And we are moved to worship him for who he is and what he has given us. Objectively, it's true. As believers, we want to help each other as a church family to grow in the experience of that objective truth. We want to walk in the liberty and power of knowing that we belong to the Most High God, and we want to worship him for it. Let's do that now as we close. Please bow with me. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more sermons, blogs, and other resources, you can check out our website, oakridgebiblechapel.org. To listen to our weekly podcast, Word Processing, you can go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any other podcasting platform. Remember, you can always join us in person or on our live stream at 10.30 a.m. on Sundays. Thanks for watching.